We're glad you've joined us for worship today, and I hope you enjoyed the music that Austin and Chuck provided for us this day on March 29th. And I kind of got a chuckle out of this technology. This is probably take number 42 for me, trying to figure out how to do a message from my basement. Diane and I are both uh, self-quarantined until a week from Tuesday, and uh, I think that's April 7th. And so we've been in our house. People have been bringing us groceries. Thank you to Chris and Lynn Heddington for helping us out with that. And uh, so I know everybody's probably getting cabin fever, but this is a time for us to just stop and reflect and think about what God is trying to teach us during this unusual time. I know we're all wondering, what is God's plan and purpose through this pandemic that has encircled our world? We're going to look at a message today from Matthew chapter 6. But first, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Take your, your copy of the Bible like I have, or if you have a digital copy. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at a parable in verses 24 and 27 of Jesus talking to his disciples. And our message is called Faith in the Anchor of Our Soul. And God is our anchor. God is the one that we can uh, go to and find the deepest help that we could ever need right there. Because God is so amazing. God provides so many things. And he is so sure that we can have confidence and hope in him. And that's why I like that passage in Hebrews 6. It talks about him being the anchor of our soul. The thing that never moves or changes. If you want to follow along with an outline, it's on the app. It's under Sermon Notes. And I just encourage you to uh, sit back and let's enjoy God's Word together and the message God has for us. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Isn't it great that we serve a God that if we root our lives in Christ— and he is our foundation, that coronavirus and anything else cannot come against us, cannot destroy us. Now, I don't want to be simplistic in this message today as we think about the pandemic around us. I don't want to give the Sunday school answer to say that Jesus is going to make everything all right very quickly. Um, we're still trying to discern what God's purpose and plan through all this is about. And we're, when we're confronted with such a huge worldwide situation it can be overwhelming and I find for myself it's hard to get your arms around it and to really understand from God's perspective what we are to learn from this so I've been asking myself some questions is this judgment upon our country because of our sins well I don't know but ultimately the coronavirus is part of the consequence of sin we know that Adam and Eve lived in perfection until they decided to disobey God and eat of the tree that was forbidden and to take of the fruit. And as a consequence of that sin, death came. And disease is part of the way that death comes upon us. And so 
in some aspect, this is part of the consequences of sin. And it could be God's just using it to try to remind us of our immortality. Is God preparing us for revival? We haven't had a revival in a large part of our world or even our country for a very long time. And maybe God is driving us to our knees to cry out and to ask for grace and mercy and forgiveness. Is what we are facing or going through a faith and character stretching opportunity? Is God trying to mature us? You know, James 1 says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations. And he goes on to say in there that the purpose of that is to perfect us or to mature us or to help us so we're not lacking in anything in James 1.4. Is God trying to get the world's attention in order to look up? Is he trying to drive everyone to their knees and see that we would need to be drawn to God as men and women to him? Is this so that we as Americans and especially American Christians to help us know what other countries go through? when they don't have as many medical opportunities or other things that are afforded to us. What can we learn from this pandemic, Lord, I want to ask? So we need to look at this pandemic from an eternal perspective. We're not to live anxious lives. We're living day-to-day in this present situation. It seems like every afternoon at a press briefing, things can change very quickly. Schools can be closed. Yesterday, in Iowa, retail shops are going to be closing down, or as we're told. Uh, we're up in the air as to when church can meet again. Families, though, the good news is, are spending time together. They're building relationships. This will make for a great memory for our kids at some point. This is time for us to stop and reflect personally about what's most important in our lives, to kind of reevaluate our habits and to live more simply and learning to live with the essentials and not always by what we want. This can set the course to change things going forward, I believe. We will have a new normal in many ways after this time is over. This is bringing out the best in many people. We see the heart of compassion and the commitment to improve the health of those in our society. There's a story about an old Scottish professor and preacher. His name was James Stewart, and he once made a helpful distinction between the foreground and the background of life. He used the metaphor of a painting, and he said that life has both a foreground and a background. The foreground are the things that we see right in front of us. But it's the things that are seen and physical, but the background of life is the invisible, unseen spiritual realities that are behind us and beyond us. Now we need to be clear about these two things. We can't divide the sacred from the secular. Uh, We should never have an unbiblical divide about those things. Remember who Jesus is. The one is about to address us here in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is the eternal word made flesh. He's the 100% God, 100% man, all wrapped up in human flesh. Now, not just the foreground and the background are two parts of the very same painting, and are interconnected and relate to one another, so that the seen and the unseen, the physical and the spiritual, make up the portrait of our lives and our world. But our trouble too often is that we see the foreground, the circumstances around us, and we don't account for the background, what God is doing in the unseen things that we have no idea about. So our foreground right now, according to the World Health 
organization officially declared COVID-19 or the coronavirus to be a pandemic. And our foreground is the frightening possibilities coming out through news reports every day, hearing about more people dying, more people tested positive for the disease. This is the foreground, but we remember it's only what's in front of us, what we can see. God has a grander purpose behind what we're experiencing in our world today. So we need to listen to the words of Jesus on this topic of dealing with anxiety and worry when things are out of our control, when we don't understand what is going on around us. So let's get to the background that's so vital for us as we move forward and through these troubling times. First of all, on your outline, some questions to think about today. First of all, what is your faith based in right now? What is your faith really, really rooted in? You know, it's easy for us to give the right answer, God or Jesus, but when it comes really right down to it, when we're alone and we get anxious, do we turn to God? Do we look to Him to give us that hope, to give us that perfect love that casts out fear? Well, it says in Matthew chapter 6, and I invite you to turn there, verse 19, part of the Sermon of the Mount, and this is a familiar passage of Scripture. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus gives us a way to measure where we are spiritually and who and what we are devoted to. The interesting thing about the Christian life is that we're either moving forward with God or we're moving backward from our relationship with Him. God has no neutral in His transmission in His gearbox. Verses 19 through 21 makes a bold statement about what we value and where we put our energy in to gather our treasures. Are we building on the trophies and the material possessions of this life that will soon be destroyed? Or are we investing in what will last in eternity, pouring into people's souls so that they would have faith to come to Christ and then to disciple them so they in turn can disciple other people? That's the eternal value. Peter, when he wrote his epistle, 1 Peter in chapter 1, he was talking at a time when the church was experiencing tremendous suffering. And it says in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1, 4 says, To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Are we investing in those things that God is holding with our name on it, up in heaven, the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, guaranteeing those rewards will be there for us? You know, as I think about that, I think about some things that I cherish very much in my life. I have a, a little booklet here and on the front which you may not be able to see there's an autograph of Willie Stargell and when I was 10 years old my dad took me to an event a club that he was a part of and Willie Stargell was a guest 
and I was privileged as a young boy to get his autograph, an outfielder for the world champion Pittsburgh Pirates. I think some other things, someone gifted me a number of years ago with this replica of the Stanley Cup. And I know you can't see it, but on there is an autograph of Yamir Yager uh, back in the 80s when the Pittsburgh Penguins won a Stanley Cup in hockey. And then recently, I gained possession of this autographed football signed by Tony Dungy, uh, who was a Super Bowl coach for the Indianapolis Colts and played also before he was a coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, all these things are wonderful. They're in my basement. I've got a section here with cherished things, but one day all these things are going to end up in a trash dump in a landfill somewhere. They're going to be destroyed. They're not going to last. Where we spend our time and our money and energy reveals where our treasure is, what we value, and what is our passion. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, as we continue on through this passage. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders there, and though appearing to be religious in their speech and in the way that they went about their rituals in worship, their hearts were greedy and power hungry, and Jesus points that out here in these verses. God tells us that the first of his Ten Commandments, that he is a jealous God. He only wants us to worship him and nothing else. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, he says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God wants us to worship him and him alone, to make him the one who we seek after, who we spend the most time with, who we pour our finances into. God makes it clear that we're not to give allegiance or first place in our hearts to anyone or anything but him. We must love one and hate the other. We're simply not built as human beings to serve two masters well. You and I are in a constant battle to seek the comforts of this world, and that's why this pandemic is so disheartening. I find this being very disruptive to my way of life, to what I want to be doing right now to my goals moving forward. We must remind ourselves over and over again, we're not made to live in this world for eternity, but our hearts and souls were made for an eternal relationship with our Father. Whatever happens in this life is just merely boot camp in preparation for the joy that we'll experience in Psalm 1610, the joy being in the presence of God around his throne. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God wants to take our eyes off the foreground, the circumstances, the things that are right before us, and try to look back and see the bigger picture, the background, the place that we are heading ultimately that God has prepared for us. The COVID-19 is a monster. It's a silent killer. As our president said, it's an invisible enemy. And look how powerful it's become. Not only the carnage of lives lost, but also the disruption of everyday lives for people and the major damage to countries' economies, including ours. But nothing happens without God's knowledge. We're not in despair, but hopeful as things often go. There's a silver lining behind the storm clouds. God is going to bring good and bring glory to himself through this disease. I think the ways are pe people are dealing with this disease. I love some of the stories I see on TV. A cul-de-sac in a community where every morning at a set time, kids with their mom come out and bring a flag and all the neighbors come to the end of their driveways in this cul-de-sac and recite the Pledge of Allegiance and talk to one another from a distance for a few moments, check in on everybody, then head back into their homes. I saw a high school choir practicing together on Zoom for an upcoming concert. I think of the tireless hours of the medical personnel helping those with disease, even without the proper uh, protection equipment for them personally, some using their own bandanas for masks in some cases, food that are brought to the elderly. And then as I was on a call this week with uh, Mayor Bob Gallagher from Bettendorf, how they've separated the homeless who are healthy and those that may be affected or are sick and need to be tested are placed into hotels free of charge. And then organizations are bringing meals to these homeless people in these hotels. There are many, many stories to hear, many unsung heroes, and many will hear in the future. Now Jesus begins his pivot here in this passage to deal with worry and anxiety. He wants us to see God's grander scheme of things beyond what you and I can see. This is the time that many people have not experienced, the way to deal with their worry and their anxiety, to release it and to let it go. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This is where powerful faith comes in, to believe God for the impossible, beyond what we see, beyond what we could touch and feel. Hebrews 11.6, he admonishes us to have great faith. He says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Forever who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. The verse that I referenced earlier in this message in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He is the anchor. This is the one we run to when we're looking for protection, when we're looking for hope, when we're looking for encouragement, 
when all we see around the world is despair and discouragement and many people see hopelessness in their lives. We have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Well, how big is your faith in God? How sure is your trust in the one who never changes, who keeps every one of his promises, and is working for your best in every moment of your life? Our second major point, our question to ask, what can we learn about our faith in God as we compare it to God's creation? What can we learn? And that's what Jesus gives. He gives us a comparison. Our lives versus birds, versus uh, uh, flowers that are around us. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Three times in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. We see it in verse 25, we see it in verse 30, we see it in verse 34. Do not be anxious for your life in verse 25. Do not be anxious for basic needs, verse 30. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, verse 34. What are you anxious about in this crisis? Losing your finances, it's very difficult, especially for those who may have investments who are now retired on fixed income and depend upon monies that they've invested. What about a job? Losing your job, or at least furloughed for a while. Not sure how you're going to get money. It's going to take time for the government's checks to come in that they just are getting ready to pass. It's going to take time to get unemployment insurance. This creates anxiety. How am I going to pay my bills? What about health issues? Do I go out to the store? How safe is it to be around people even with social distancing? What about other ones, loved ones around us or friends who are near us? Are they going to contract this virus? Getting adequate food. And then, you know, the big concern has been toilet paper. Can we get enough toilet paper? while we're kind of locked down in our houses. These are all things that people are wrestling with and getting worried about and anxious about. And for each one of us, there's other individual issues that only you know about. Jesus gives us an example of how the birds of the air do not worry about food and water because God continues to provide it for them on a daily basis. And are we not of more value, Jesus said, than the birds of the air. We've talked many, many times about how all the things God created, man is his special creation. He's the central focus of the universe. And that he wants us to have a relationship with him. And are we not of more value than those birds as we think about the relationship that God wants to have with us? 
Now, as wonderful as the birds and animals are, and they're there for us to enjoy and see, we see God's creativity in the different kinds of animals and there are on this planet. Do you ever see a bird worrying about getting a worm or finding water? I don't think so. Flowers never complain to God about getting enough sunshine, enough nutrients from the soil, enough water to continue to grow. It's amazing to see the physical world that God has created. The majesty of the Rocky Mountains, going to the Grand Canyon, to see the beauty of God's creation at Niagara Falls in New York and the Canadian side. And on and on we could go about the physical things that God has created. The amazing things that we can see out in the solar system because of the Hubble telescope and other telescopes that bring back beautiful images about our universe that we can't see with the naked eye. But at the end of the day, God cares most about man and women that he has created. Can all your worrying change anything? Jesus challenges with that thought. He says you can't add inches to your body by worrying. Worry has the adverse effect on the body. It can create wrinkles. It can create ulcers. It can create other physical problems. Most of the things we worry about concerning the future either will not happen or are out of our control. Worrying about our past is worthless because you can't change your past. Jesus said, why worry about basic needs? Even as great and wealthy a king was, that Solomon was, and all the beauty that he was arrayed in with his wonderful clothing are not as beautiful as the flowers that God has created and put on this earth. A number of years ago, I was talking to a counselor and going through a difficult time in my life, and he reminded about me something very significant. He says, do you notice when you get into a car, you see there's a rearview mirror. And look at how small that mirror is in order for you to see what's behind you. But then in comparison, look at the windshield, how big that piece of glass is, so that you can look out and see what's in front of you. And he said, as you continue down the road and you look in the mirror, the things that you're passing get smaller and smaller and smaller things in front of you grow larger and larger as you drive toward them. We need to realize that we can't change our past. We don't need to worry about our past. We need to not worry about the future. It's a beautiful future that's before us that God has given us. And he's going to lead us as we drive to the future. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders that they had never learned to live by faith for even the basic needs of their life. God wants us to look to the future by faith and not worry about it or worry about our past. As I said, there are so many things that are out of our control. And the older I get, the more I realize how little control I have about things and people around me. So it's okay to be concerned about things and it's not irresponsible to act on your concerns. And you certainly need to pray about them. But if you go to the cross and leave them there, we're not to pick those burdens up once again. We're to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us and leave them with him at the cross. The third thing we see here, the third question today is, are we all right with trusting God for our temporal care like we are in trusting God for eternal care? I come back to this often in my life. 
I tell people all the time that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die today, I would be in heaven, not because of anything I've done, but because of the grace of God and by trusting in Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life by believing on his son's name, Jesus Christ. And we have that assurance of salvation. We see that in several places in Ephesians chapter 1 and other places in the Bible. So I don't fear or worry about my eternal security. But why is it that I worry about the temporal things that are right in front of me? Why do I worry about finances? Why do I worry about finding food or whatever it is that we get ourselves so worked up about? Jesus goes on to talk about this in Matthew chapter 6. Look at verses 30 through 32. Excuse me, 31 through 32. In verse 31 it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is saying here, don't be like the worldly people, the people that don't got, know God or focus on Him, or look to Him to help with their needs. They're worried about all kinds of things. How they're going to pay for their house, how they're going to pay their student loans, how they're going to take care of their kids, how they're going to save up for college, and all these things. Worry about the basic essentials of life, food, clothing, shelter, and drink. Our Father in Heaven knows that uh, what we need and is more than willing to provide for us, whether that be the physical needs, whether that be emotional needs, whether that be spiritual needs. God will come to us, meet us where we are. And he says in Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The overarching antidote to worry and anxiety is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus shared with his disciples how to make God and his kingdom the center focus of their life, and all their earthly needs would be provided. It's as if, as Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you focus on eternal things and the souls of men, and become fishers of men, I will take care of your physical needs, your food, your clothing, your shelter. It's a matter of trusting God by faith. It's a matter of giving financially. The only place in the Bible you see in Malachi where he talks about, put me to the test, give the tithes and offerings to the church, to other Christian organizations, and I will pour out a blessing from the storerooms of heaven upon you. It's a matter of trusting God by faith for everything. As I've worked in different ministries throughout the years, one of the things that my wife and I have looked at is not so much the financial compensation to meet our basic needs, but whether God wants us to go to a particular place to minister and if we have peace with God about that, and we know it's where he wants us to be, then we know he will provide for our expenses. I think about 
the first church that I went to, full-time ministry in New Jersey. And it was a small church, and they just had a handful of kids. And I was the first full-time youth pastor that they ever had. And they paid us $10,500. They paid us medical expenses. We didn't have any children at that point. And they had just purchased a rundown old bakery that had an apartment up top. And they were going to renovate this, and we were living in it while it was being renovated. And if you looked at us and thought about that, you'd think we were crazy. But we knew that God wanted us there. And people would bring food and put it on our doorstep. I remember a man in church got me a coat. And God provided in so many miraculous ways, not even financially, but by gifts of other people coming on. But we had faith to believe that this was where God wanted us to be. Seeking God's kingdom is about two things. One, it's putting Christ's view of eternity into our daily lives. It's taking the long approach to things. The deeper we're committed by faith and knowing we're going to heaven leads us to the second thing about following God's kingdom. If we're deeply rooted in our relationship with God and we've got that love and that peace that passes all understanding, then it's incumbent upon us to go out and share that with others, to share the love that we have found with those around us who so desperately need it. As I think about this time of having a pandemic, the early church had opportunities in the midst of worldwide crisis, or at least regional crisis, to show the love of Christ. An example, Rodney Stark, the author of The Rise of Christianity, tracked the conversion rate and argues in his book that the spread of Christianity in the early centuries of the church was largely due to the care and compassion that Christians showed for the poor and the sick during different plagues or epidemics. Eusebius, the early church historian, wrote that because of the church's compassion for those in need during times of crisis, he said, quote, the deeds of Christians were on everyone's lips, not just church believers, but the world at that time. Candida Moss, a professor of New Testament and early Christianity at the University of Notre Dame, noted that the epidemic that seemed like the end of the world would actually promote the spread of Christianity. It was because of their hope and heaven and love of Christ that was shown Christians showed the world that Christianity is worth dying for. All through the centuries, the reports are the same. In England, during the 1800s, when many were dying of cholera, Charles Spurgeon and his church visited hundreds of homes to care for people. And even now, in the midst of this crisis, there's reports of Christians in China and Italy going around handing out masks encouraging people, providing food, helping the sick. Can we have the same level of faith about things on earth when we're of complete confidence by faith that we have a home in heaven because we are born again? We need to have that same confidence about the circumstances that we're in. And lastly, the last question we'll look at today is how can we focus our faith on God and his word just this day? Look at verse 34 of Matthew 6 as he concludes this chapter. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One of the most interesting verses in the Bible is this one. We're only promised today. We don't have 
any lease on life beyond these, this 24-hour period. You know, when I get up every morning, I thank God for a new morning. When I get out of bed and I can breathe and I can walk and I can eat and still have life. And according to Lamentations, every morning he gives us a new measure of grace and mercy because of his faithfulness. And just like the manna that came down to the Israelites in the wilderness, at the end of the day, I can't carry over today's grace and mercy into tomorrow, according to the Bible. But when we wake up, he gives us a new measure of grace. Every morning is a present from God. So we live by faith and not by sight, one day at a time. That's a big lesson I've learned from COVID-19. Almost every few hours, things change. This closes. This person must be quarantined. No church that we can go to. We live with this virus changing things every few hours, and we have to adapt to it by faith. God is saying, seek God's kingdom today, and then if you wake up and have tomorrow, seek God's kingdom for that day, and whatever God brings your way, one step at a time, as we move forward toward our heavenly home. Be reminded of what Job said in Job 14, verse 1. He says, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. We have to expect that we're going to have a few days along the way that are going to be good a few days during the week, but we're also going to have storms along the way. And James 4.14 puts our life in perspective. What is life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So we should value the eternal perspective. As we conclude today, often the question is posed in these times, where is God? Well, let me ask you, where was Jesus? Remember Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So where was Jesus? In John chapter 2, we find he was in Cana making wine at a wedding celebration. But in John 11, we find him at the grave of his friend, crying. Lazarus, where is Jesus? He's at the wedding. He's at the funeral. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. So where is God? He's at weddings. He's at funerals. God is there in the good days and in our bad days. He's the God who was there on Good Friday, but he's also the God that was there on Easter Sunday. He's the God of the spectacular and the God of the ordinary mundane things of life. He's the God of the hills and the God of the valleys. He's in the midst of our laughter and he's in the midst of our tears. He's the God when the market is up and God when the market is down. He is God in the light and God in the darkness. Whereas God, God is with us. Emmanuel, he is both places. He's in all places. He's carefully and sovereignty and sovereignly... Huh. He's carefully and sovereignly in control of all. He's ever-present help in our time of need. That's the background that we need to have about this coronavirus. So as followers of Christ, we need to be concerned about the coronavirus, take care of ourselves. We must take precautions for our family's safety and our church's safety. The first priority is pastor and working with the elders are decisions to keep our congregation ministered to and know that everyone is healthy. But as we come out of this, we need to be willing to be on mission and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We may need to help collect food and help donate it to food pantries like First Baptist in Bettendorf. There's a shortage of blood right now, so we can call the local blood bank, even now, to make an appointment 
to help keep the blood supply available in our community. We can offer to buy groceries to help someone in need and drop them off on their doorstep. As the need rises to maybe deliver meals or pick up medicine for people who are unable to get out and take these things to them, we need to step up to the plate. Our mayor, Bob Gallagher, here in Bettendorf has asked us to help in our community but not put ourselves at risk. So we must be like Jesus in the time of need. He was on mission to expand the kingdom of God. This will become a great ministry opportunity as a disease subsides and we can get out safely and minister to all people. So is your hope found in the bedrock of Christ no matter what comes your way? That's what I leave you with today. And see the bedrock, and see the anchor, and see the number one default go-to place to minister to people. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. May we go in confidence and hope that Christ will go with us and be with us through this time of crisis, and will be with us on the other side in eternity in heaven as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to pause, and even though we can't be physically in our church building, we thank you for technology that enables us to have a worship service at this time. Lord, I pray for the families of our church. I pray for those beyond our church family that are looking in, that God, you would help us to reflect on these verses and to realize what Jesus is saying, that if we look to him and look to God, he will provide and take care of all of our needs. That if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be provided for us. Lord, we pray for safety and health of those that are watching and our church family to take care of them and keep us healthy from the coronavirus. Help us to make wise decisions and help the elders to be discerning as well. And Lord, when we get together, we'll have a great celebration at our church as we gather together and share what we've learned and what you've done in this whole situation in our hearts and lives. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.